Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is a special outtake of bits and pieces from my conversation with Claire G. Coleman that didn't make it into the original. If you did not see the big banner warning on your podcast app, I will let you know that is because there are spoilers for Claire's new novel, Enclave. If you are a fan of Claire G. Coleman, then you will know that she writes incredible twists. There is always something going on under the surface of her novels. And so this is your warning. This is me letting you know that if you have not already read Enclave, you're going to find out stuff that you're not going to want to know before you go in. If you have read Enclave, if you are a fan of Claire's work, this is for you. Stay tuned. Now, the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. My name's Andrew Popel. Every week, I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We're dedicated to Australian writing, from debut authors to household names like Claire. (laughs) Every week, we're looking into the issues that drive our storytelling and helping you discover more from the books you love. And very much, as I say every week, in the case of Claire's writing, these are the stories about who we are, that make us who we are, and investigate where we're going, maybe the paths that we don't want to walk down. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands, pay my respect to their ongoing connection to their lands, and acknowledge always that these are unceded lands, and treaty has never been made with the First Nations of this country that we call Australia. Now, if you haven't already listened to part one of my conversation with Claire, I would suggest you go back. That's going to provide a lot of important context and detail about the characters and the broad story arc. I will let you know that Claire G. Coleman, she is a Noongar writer from Western Australia. Her debut novel was the award-winning Terranalius, and she writes incredibly across uh, genres and styles. We're talking about her third novel. It's just come out. It's called Enclave. And Enclave takes us to the community of Safe Town. There, the residents live a comfortable life, secure in the knowledge that they are protected by the wall. And within that concrete edifice, their streets are patrolled and drones surveil their airways. They make sure that the people are safe and that any transgression is met swiftly with consequence. Now, Christine has grown up in Safe Town. She spent her entire life basking in the comfort that both the community and her father's wealth afford her. She is the daughter of an influential family. And while her family can feel like distant figures, she is secure. She has agency in her life. But Claire, sorry, <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting the protagonist mixed up with the author. <laughs> Christine has started to notice things that are not right. Her best friend Jack is missing and her servants, the people that look after her every whim. Well, they don't look like her. And Christine is wondering about this assumption that she's always made about her right to be on top. Join me as we get behind the scenes. We discuss some of the inspiration, some some authors that we both like, and also the potential for Claire's work to be adapted for the screen. It's really hard to have an interview where you're not talking spoilers, but I, I did like what you said, and it was very much where the society... So, just to clarify, were they, were they on... Tasmania or was was the enclave yeah. on? Yeah, okay. I wasn't sure if it was Tasmania. Yeah, or um, way I way I wrote it. Um, it, it, it actually I know Tasmania a bit, and I was careful looking at maps. The way it, the way it works. If anyone asks um, ask me later, it's basically the enclave is around Launceston, Tasmania. Cool. Yep. So the the, the trash town that's mm. around 
that, that's near it is Launceston. And the train station would lead for, leave from there's a place called um, Lidale, which is not far from Launceston. Mm. And you could, and then there, there's actually a shallow bit of ocean between that connects Lidale and um, um, King Island. Yeah. Or one of the other islands. And, and then, not King Island, um, the other one. Lido's on the ocean. They literally just point out there. But no, well, there's a there's a if you, if you um, I draw I looked on the on Google Maps. I worked out a spot where you could actually put a you could put an underwater train line through without it being crushed by deep sea. And it goes from um north. You see the design of this one. It goes from like the northeast. It would go from the northeast tip of Tasmania to Flinders Island, and then to um I can't remember the name of it, but yes, yeah. it is Tasmania. It connects Tasmania. The train line would connect Tasmania and Australia and mainland Australia around Melbourne, and then the, of course, the the, the big city is Melbourne. Did you catch a um, utopian Melbourne? A utopian Melbourne, yeah. Um, statues of Adam Bant everywhere. No, um, did you? It's <laughs> <laughs> a frightening thought. I, I knew I knew Adam Bant at university. Oh wow! There you go. Has he has he changed much? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Have, did you he's, got, catch- he's got a bit more, bit more green. Got a bit more green, a bit thinner on top. He's got a bit more green. Mm. Yeah. Did you catch two or three years back um, Heather Rose's novel Bruni? I feel like Taz- people, a lot of people got Tasmania in their sights for, for various, um, you know, like dystopia. No, I, 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 I know of the book. Mm. Um, I've read the blurb on the back, but I haven't read it. No. Okay, I'm going to shut up because I'm going to give too much away if you do want to read it but yeah tassie it's it's an it's an island it's an island for um for yeah sort of interesting dystopian um spaces i really i think it it works tasmania as a as a place to set things Mm. because it's part of australia but not you know i mean it's yeah and it's culturally different to the rest of australia as well do you think – it just occurred to me there, and I don't know if, it's, if this occurred to you, but in in terms of that kind of multinational attitude, there is I've, – I've heard that, you know, Australia is, as, as a nation, um, a lot of multinationals see us as kind of a perfect testing ground for things. You know, like if they've got products where we're big enough to give them good data but small enough it doesn't cost them a lot to, say, introduce a new yeah. – car or something you know you can test things in australia and if it works then you can take it bigger um yeah it probably makes sense yeah but also i remember when i I grew up in perth Mm. and um back in the old days when um when touring was expensive for rock bands Mm. they'd start their tour in perth right and perth would be well their world tour would start in perth and that would be like their dress rehearsal See everything works because if, if you screw up in Perth, Perth had enough people buying tickets to make it worth their while. Mm. But if you mess up, it probably the world media probably doesn't hear about it because it wouldn't have flown anyone to Perth. So they, so they, so they, they always be like world tour of of like some like the Cure. The first gig would be in Perth. We could we could extend this. We could make this a little bit more hopeful. As as we were saying before, you know, like actually having socially progressive politics grow. Perhaps if if this. Suppose it if we if we can trust what we saw at the election this this turn towards more socially progressive politics starts working out in Australia maybe the countries that we would traditionally follow might take a note from us we can only hope well, we can hope so and well they they are um, in America particularly they 
um, they started to really listen to us about gun control. Mm. Like I saw recently on, um, there was an interview, as I saw it on YouTube, but there's an interview where they actually got in, um, got in Rudd to American TV to talk about Australia's gun control. And he actually said, and um, Rudd actually said that the, it was actually the conservative government that brought in gun control in Australia, which is true, and it was. Mm. It was John Howard. But that it, was a, it had bipartisan support and supported the entire population because unlike America, we didn't want to see people die. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And dying. And so maybe they'll start listening to us on guns. Yeah, and dying so that they can point at this right that they have got your right but not your life oh yeah and the, the emergency to forget that constitutions can change they're not sacred things mm, mm. many of them yeah only only a couple of hundred years old which you know it's old for some young for others I'm, i i i fear a, a rise to fascism around somewhere in the world it's going to happen it might have hopefully it happens like World War Two, when the entire world was shifting slowly towards fascism, mm. and then Germany went went full fascist, and Germany, Italy went full fascist, and the rest of the world went, oh, we're not so sure anymore. <laughs> when people see what fascism actually is, they'll, they'll start pulling back. Because mm. England was shifting towards fascism when when Germany did, and then they went they pulled back when Germany started the war. Mm. Well, I mean, the the prevalent narrative throughout the bulk of the 20th century was, you know, a strong America was needed to, as, as a sort of a, a check or a stop against, you know, rising fascism in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you look at them and you kind of think maybe a strong China is what we need to keep American ludicrously in yeah. check. Um, America is shifted towards fascism. And we've got a lot of um, fascist apologists in Australia, but I'm, I'm of the firm opinion that the fascists in Australia have got such small numbers that they're not going to be really dangerous, except for maybe um, noise and terrorist attacks, but they're not going to actually ever overthrow the government, I don't think. No. no. They could in America, though. Yeah, that is that is that um, that does seem to be a, a big a big shift in the, in the groundswell, like this the actual foundational, not just the, the noisy, the noisy people at the top. Yeah. Got a lot of noisy fascists in Australia. Most of mm. them um, seem to not be able to tell the difference in Australia and America in their heads. Yeah. That, and that's a really interesting thing. And, and the, probably the bigger problem, I, I, I don't think in the best society in the world is not going to get rid of the noisy idiot that keeps, that keeps talking about obsolete points, but it's the way the media kind of just boosts them up a little bit. You know, we'll we'll stick we'll stick Blair Cottrell on something for a, a, a an opposing point of view, and it's just like, don't give the guy air. But also the um the fact that you know, for example, that someone put up a photo of somewhere in country Australia mm-hmm. where people were um were. Um, talking about the constitution, but the bits of the constitution talking about were from the US constitution, not Australian. Mm. And they're talking about that in Australia as they've, they've got a right to like freedom of speech, which we don't have a constitutional right of freedom of speech or freedom of speech in Australia and a right to bear arms if you don't have. Oh, mate. The only and, right to um, bear arms you've got is a singlet in the summertime. <laughs> and the other the other one that happens, um, that's, that's re- they're really pissing me off is, the um the misuse of the word patriot in America, mm. the people who want to vote for Do- vote for Donald Trump want to overthrow the government and state Donald Trump as like Lord Emperor or calls themselves patriots. Well, that's not patriotism. That's wanting to overthrow your country, which is the opposite of patriotism. Mm. But you get Australians who 
use the word patriot to meet to basically mean that they're um, admirers of Amer- that American fake patriotism. And so there's Australians calling themselves patriots who want to overthrow Australia government and put Donald Trump in charge here too. <laughs> That's not patriotism. That's the exact opposite of patriotism. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got enough bad candidates here. We don't need one. Yeah, we yeah. don't need an import. And Paul and Hanson's back in Parliament. Oh, shit, yeah. That's right. Were we all hopeful? What was it? Who was a who was her biggest challenger? I thought it was someone from the legalized marijuana party. That would have just legalized been- marijuana party were, come, were nearly nearly defeated. Yeah, mm, mm. we didn't get anyone from from the UAP fascists. So yeah, you got you 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 can't have everything you want. Is is all I'm learning. But you know what else? The the so called national party, the mm. the fashion fashionable party, you know, fascists. Mm. They um they. The mining party, also known as, <laughs> they got less votes um, as raw raw vote data than than um, United Australia Party. As oh. the Nationals, that all their votes are, are um, kind of focused on on um, all their all their workers focus on the few seats they can get. Mm. So it was just it was yeah. preference flows and things like that that actually kept them. And in. also, they in the in areas the Nationals traditionally have been voted uh, in. The Liberal yeah. Party don't run. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, there we go. For people who want to vote conservative can only vote for nationals. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, we've got better than it was. I mean, it's better than it was when we chatted four months ago. So that's something. It is something. better than it was then, yeah. And it's, I, I guess, I mean, I, I'm not to not to kind of shoehorn us back to your book, but, I mean, I suppose that's not a bad thing, even if I am. But I guess it is. it is a sense of, complacency amongst all of our sins are is the one that can be the most insidious where if you just accept things and don't believe they can change well then stuff stays bad so now we've got a situation that is perhaps marginally better not not being complacent still i remember god the, 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 yeah. it just occurred to me the power the power of enclave is <laughs> that the the dystopia isn't the nation mm. so that means it, it still fits our world because, mm. frankly, the, the way that I wrote, I wrote Enclave, and I'm not sure if this was intentional or not or, or accidental, but um, the way um, Enclave, the um, safe town is, is extremely conservative, but the country around it has moved to the mm. far to the left. So, therefore, that, that dystopia still works because I, I could still imagine even if we have a, a teal wave for the next 25 years, we could still imagine um, safe town happening. Oh yeah! It, it, if anything, it fits even better. I was listening to this uh, fascinating program about um, the, you know the, the shift in the Liberal Party, and, and realistically, they are facing destruction because they've moved so far not only to the right but to that conservative religious base. That yeah, you could really see them all just saying, "Let's build a wall." We'll some yeah, let's build a wall and yeah. all just hide behind it. Yeah, you can imagine it quite easily. Well, I'm, I'm glad you like my new baby. Yeah. It's um, it's it was fascinating, like a, a brilliant concept, but then just the way you played it out, like the the fact that you know Christine, like, no, I don't think you would ever have done this, but the fact that Christine, you know, kind of didn't come back in on you know a hoverboard with uh, two Gatling guns um, to to overthrow no. the society, like that kind of that kind of arc, yeah, which which often well, that know, would have been boring. It's it's been done, but you kind of you, I was always just like. 
oh, is this where it's going? No? Okay, cool. Yep, very interesting. Well, and- well yeah, I mean, it was a very conscious decision to have her to, um, to have her destabilise her society by using hackers because really a site like that could only work for misinformation. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the way to take it down is to give them the information that would make people want to leave. Yeah, yeah. Claire, thank you so much. And thank you for the, thank you just for the after chat, which is, you know, always really nice. I don't know, I don't know about your world, but you don't, not every conversation gets to be this refreshing. So it's always, it's always good. Well, what I, what I hate is normally when I'm doing radio, even pre-records, I connect, go straight to, to talk, um, being recorded, do like a 10 minute interview and then suddenly Zoom ceases to be on my screen. Mm. Sometimes I don't even say goodbye. Just boop, gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, oh, and- I hate that. And they and and realistically, they're the um they're probably the more slick operations. Whereas here in community radio, it's uh you know we're, we're just going to keep we're going to keep emphasising the community because the best stuff doesn't emerge in the first ten minutes of a chat. Listen, and I, look, I'll, I'll be honest, I enjoy doing community radio for that reason that um people can. I, I, okay, I, I like doing stuff like ABC, and I've got mm. I've got interviews nonstop next week with people like ABC and community radio is more fun because. Um, yeah, you don't, you're not just like, they're not time, 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 time. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I'm so, it's so cool that you've got all these interviews. Cause I just, it, it means it's going to be getting out there. I'm looking forward to seeing it like front and center in my local bookshop and yeah, getting, getting that buzz. Like that was how I got onto Terranalius. Like Terranalius was, was sort of, this was way, way earlier when I was a, a little radio baby and I'd heard about it, but it hadn't been sent to me. I didn't get as much stuff sent to me back then. So I actually went out and I bought it myself. And then I was just like, okay, now I've got to chase up this incredible author. And it was when, when you're a radio baby, you're just like, everyone is up here. And you're just like, maybe you'd like to talk to me. And um, yeah, I'm glad that that, like, this one's going to get out. Isn't it, isn't it funny the way, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it, for me, Terranalius was my first book. Mm. And I was a little little bookie baby. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was like not like um, I was. Like, it's not like um, I mean, Terranalis came out five years ago this year. Yeah, wow. Only five wow. years. Um, because it was um, September, September release two thousand seventeen. Now think about that. I know I've gone from a from a book, bookie baby to relatively um, well known writer in a few years, mm. and, and I haven't done it by having like um, one of those super like immediate bestseller commercial fiction novels. Mm. I've done it writing Australian speculative fiction, and nobody. I mean, it's like um, what Monty Python says um, wasn't said. No, no one expects a Spanish Inquisition. Yep, yep. Well, no one could have expected me. Exactly. Yes. Good, good point. Good point. You know, for the um, I, I love all the quotes on the back, but maybe we could just adjust that top one and just change it to Wolverine says, "Read it." Like <laughs> that's gonna. I showed, I showed it to some somebody once because um, I wanted to see see the video. Um, I showed it on my Instagram, and the kids went, um, "Oh, is that someone saying they should read her book?" And my mum said, "Yeah." They said, "Who is that?" Said, that's Wolverine. They went, oh, "I'm reading it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People, right? yeah, and and it is exactly what people who like Wolverine will like your books. That's just yeah, built in. Do you know what else is exciting? Well, this is this is an absolute just like addendum post 
um, you know, a, a addendum thought bubble, and then I'll let you go and enjoy your day. But I had this I had this really weird moment the other day. I'm like, I love all the stuff that's kind of coming out. I don't watch much TV, but there's some really cool stuff. And there's the Sa- Sandman, Neil Gaiman. Sandman is, mm-hmm. is being made for Netflix. I know I I've never talked to you about Neil Neil Gaiman, but I know you're a Pratchett fan, so I assume you like you you at least like Neil a little bit. I like his. I like um like Sandman comics. Mm. So Sandman. and um I've met I've met Neil um oh. briefly, but I like Sandman comics, and um I like um I did like the the novel he wrote with Pratchett, name of which escapes me at the moment. Good omens, yeah. Good omens, I like that, but I, I haven't might be as much a fan of, of Gaiman's novels as his comic books. Okay. Well, so they've adapted Good Omens. It was I I would say quite brilliant they're adapting sandman but i had this thought the other day i'm like they're adapting all this cool stuff from when i was a kid or a little bit older and i'm like god but then it just feels like you know especially visual like um the the industry's it's just eating itself they're just adapting stuff now and then i I just as we were about to sign off there i thought no wait hang on there are novels like terra nullius and enclave the old like that like there are amazing creators now and even if it takes like sandman it's taken 30 years to come to the screen even if it takes Mm -hmm. another 30 years i'm not worried that we're just going to be getting more and more adaptations and reboots but if it takes enclave 30 years to get on the screen I'll be nearly 80s. That wouldn't be very enjoyable, would it? Well, yes. Okay. Financially, if we can just fast track that, we'll put this up. I'll I'll talk to my people. I don't have people. (laughs) I'm glad that – I guess what I'm saying is I'm glad there's that intellectual property out there that there is – I I know that Mm. there is exciting things that can still be done. I I know that there are people out there who have been – waiting for an opportunity to adapt one of my novels. And the first two have been a bit challenging to adapt. Terra Nullius, impossible. Someone told, someone wanted to adapt the old library. They said it would cost us so much that even Spielberg would have a hard time finding the money. <laughs> and But Enclave might be a bit more adaptable. So we'll see. They couldn't do, they couldn't do the old lie in a kind of red dwarf way? I mean, I'm just... <laughs> I'm jumping in. I'm jumping in here and guessing that Red Dwarf didn't have a huge budget. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> no. Uh, so- neither, did, neither did um. Das Capital. That's such mm. a small budget they put it on a submarine. You see, Das Capital with Doug the All Stars. I remember it, but like not well. That was little. Um, so yeah, Red Dwarf. So, I, Red so that Dwarf means you're, younger, you're younger than me. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> just just the, only a few years, but, like, yeah, the, a lot of stuff like Red Dwarf I came to, like, in reruns mm. a bit later. And Daz Capital never had reruns, which is sad because it was quite funny. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they're, you know, now they're the mainstays of the, the mainstream media. Mm. Mm. And Richard's quite nice. I haven't met Richard, um, but I know. I think it was kind of like I think things like uh, was it Ghost Ghostland and what was the other one? They they were coming out around the time I, I'd pivoted Final Draft to be more of just literature, not sort of all releases. Because holy heck, imagine trying I, even just trying to cover as much literature as possible is is more than a yeah, poor little community cool. radio show can do. <laughs> yeah, have you interviewed James Bradley? Yes, yeah, not for a while. I did it for one of his YA novels. And, oh, tragically, I was, like, meant to be 
I was meant to be hosting a panel at Sydney Writers Festival back when the pandemic first hit and he was going to be on the panel and and it, mm. never, it never happened. I was really looking forward to that. I had I um I heard him speak yesterday. We had lunch. He's yeah, he's an interesting, interesting guy to speak to. Mm. I haven't haven't read all of his stuff, but yeah, he was very interesting to talk to, and even sort of the the ideas, especially kind of the environmental bent that he does like to fold into his into his novels in in YA was was really quite unique. He's quite a bit more. He's, he's quite a bit more thoroughly researched than I tend to be, which is interesting because I'm I tend to be a bit of a um a bit of a shambles on why I just kind of come up with ideas and write them and then go, Oh, does that? And then fact check myself later. But he's, he seems to be quite well researched. Mm. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Well, I suppose I should go and have some breakfast. I'll let you, I'll let you go have breakfast. If you've not had breakfast, thank you again so much for today. Okay, cool. Thanks Claire. Bye. That's it for this special bonus conversational uh, outtake spoiler section uh, with Claire G. Coleman. Her new book is Enclave. It is out now from Hachette. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. I pay my respects to the traditional owners and their ongoing connection to their lands. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. You'll find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And I will acknowledge that I am absolutely horrid on the socials. I will try to be get better. But if you want to connect with us, if you want to reach out, if you want to let us know something you're enjoying about the show, some of the books you've discovered through us, I do answer. I do answer replies, even though I'm terrible at posting. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back very soon. You don't have to wait a week now because this was a bonus episode and you're going to get more great Australian writing, great Australian authors on the Final Draft podcast. Till then, happy reading. Bye now.